Welcome back to the She Recovery Podcast, a resource of SheRecovery.com. This is Season 2, Episode 6. I'm your host, Crystal Renaud Day. I'm an author, speaker, certified coach, and a master's level pastoral counselor with over a decade of experience working with women facing pornography addiction and other unwanted sexual behaviors. You can learn more about me and She Recovery at SheRecovery.com. On this week's episode, you'll hear part one of my two-part interview with Dina Bennett. Dina came out of a hedonistic and atheistic lifestyle when she met Jesus in college in 2006. Before then, her life primarily revolved around sexual relationships, pornography, and masturbation. But by God's grace, with the help of her church, And over the course of many years, Dina experienced deep healing and transformation with regard to her sexual struggles, now walking in sexual sobriety for eight years. In 2016, she had the privilege of working with her church to help start a ministry for women who struggle with sexual sin. One of her many joys of being in this ministry has been to help develop a small group curriculum titled Set Free, Equipping Women in the Quest for Sexual Integrity recently published on Amazon. Dina currently lives in Des Moines, Iowa with her husband, Jacob, and their dog, Nuggets. Well, Dina, I am very excited to have you be a part of the She Recovery podcast. I have been actually very excited about having you on the show for a while. Um, You know, part of creating a podcast, having weekly episodes is the need to kind of scour the internet, go to the depths, you know, (laughs) the far and wide of the internet to find guests, people who are living their lives, who are um, talking about their stories, who are helping other people. Um, And I found you on Twitter where I think you were following me and you were kind of, um, I think I saw you as a suggested follow back or I was following you. I'm not even really sure. I'm sorry. But <laughs> no, I, remember, okay. I remember seeing the, the Twitter bio and your picture and your name and basically was so intrigued by what what it said. Former atheist, now, now I follow Worship Jesus, here to help women to walk in sexual integrity as mm-hmm. disciples of Christ. And um, I don't know why, but I always find, I, fi- I found just that the juxtaposition of that very intriguing, just the fact that you're former atheist, now following mm-hmm. Jesus, but also <laughs> equipping women to walk in sexual integrity, um, which is not <laughs> something that I see a whole lot. Right. And so I was really excited just to get to talk with you. So thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, we can say Twitter is good for something, <laughs> so <laughs> especially those Twitter suggestions. You know, sometimes it's just like you're on there and you just get the wildest things and it's not always helpful. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad it worked. And that's actually why I'm on the only reason why I'm on Twitter. I'm not, I don't even produce content or anything like that. Um, I just retweet stuff and I'm there to basically to scour, like, like you to scour for resources for women and yeah. kind of keep a pulse on where things are headed and whether the church is even talking about sexuality and what that looks like. So I'm glad you found me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, with just, just that brief bio, I'd love for you to dig deeper with that and share with us your story. Where have you been and how did you get to where you are today? 
yeah, I will, uh, I'll do my best to tell it. I can be, it can be very detailed and very long because there was a <laughs> lot that brought me to where I am, but obviously it starts, um, when I was a kid and I, I'm currently, I reside in, in Des Moines, Iowa, but I grew up in Aurora, Colorado. And, um, I was the youngest of four daughters and, um, an upper middle-class suburban family, um, but in many ways, I felt like an only child. Um, I never had to share anything. I was in my own room. Um, my parents made sure we had a great education. We were involved in whatever activities we wanted and some we didn't want to. Um, and outwardly, I was a good kid. Um, I was quiet. I was the youngest, so it was easy for me to kind of fly under the radar. Um, but inwardly, I was I was very selfish, you know, which partly that's human nature, but <laughs> I'm also kind of an introvert. I like to be alone, and so since I was a good kid, I could I found that I I could you know have kind of a double life pretty easily, and I and um, there was a lot going on to in me internally that I didn't even understand from the get go, um, and I lived to pursue satisfaction of my desires, like again like a fleshly human being, and one of one of the loudest desires in my soul was lust, um, even as a child, and um, I'm kind of. I mean, typically, statistically speaking, many women who struggle with sexuality, there's typically abuse in, in their stories. And I'm, I'm kind of atypical in that case. Um, I don't really know why that was there. I have some theories as to why lust was such a big deal to me. Um, but I just I just know it was there from very, very young. Um, it was I, I really wanted romantic attention. Um, I was obsessed with with boys. I don't know if part of that was part of it may have been just because I had sisters. Um, and I, I just wanted to know what a boy looked like naked as a kid. Mm -hmm. that, those were things I was thinking about and that those were things that were just there. And, um, I think so in some regards, it's kind of unusual, um, for a female experience, maybe, um, at least from talking with some other women, that seems to be the case. And so, um, along with that, when I was young, my family did go to church for a time, um, but everything that I remember about church, I just hated it from the get go. Um, it was boring. Uh, the Bible stories did not make sense to me and the way they were presented, it just seemed like, like I loved fantasy. I love, I love fairy tales. I loved like my first imaginary friend was Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> I loved yes, the Hobbit. Like, Bilbo Baggins. I was a nerd from the get go. I mean, it was just, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and so my husband and I watched Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit all, all oh my gosh. Movies at least twice a year. Oh, so. it's so great. So yeah. great. I love it. Um, <laughs> And so I loved good stories, but the way that, at least in this class, in this, this whatever particular church we went to, it just, it was, did not make sense to me. It wasn't presented in ways that connected to real life. Um, and I was naturally a skeptic. Um, I, so I didn't really get good reasons at church for, again, it, the, the dots just weren't connected for me. Um, and then combined that with... Um, our home life, my, my parents really were struggling in their marriage um, and had been for some time. Um, and, and I, it, church did not connect with me in, in the way it impacted the rest of our life. It seemed like it was a, a tour we had to kind of get out of the way on Sunday morning. And then we went back home and, and it, to me, it didn't make any difference. I, I don't think that that was the case for my parents, but that was my perception of it. And I just didn't like it. And so I was naturally skeptical, naturally selfish, um, just naturally looking for materialistic reasons for why things were. And, um, and a lot of the, the books I read and, and things I, would, I was taught, um, 
I wouldn't have initially called myself an atheist, but as I later on learned, I think it was probably in my middle school or teen years, I learned what atheism was. It, that resonated with me and that that would seem to be my experience because it just, God did not make sense. Um, it, it just didn't connect with me. Um, so that's kind of where the atheism came in. But as far as the sexual struggles, um, I was a 90s kid and I came, came of age along with the internet. And, um, and again, there was just naturally in me, this predisposition to be obsessed with, with boys and intense romantic situations and sexuality. I was very curious and I didn't get a lot of, or any, any kind of proper, um, what I would consider, or, um, like, I don't want to say correct. Um, I'm trying to phrase this graciously cause I don't, it, I don't want to disparage my parents or anything like that, but we just, we didn't talk about it. Um, we didn't talk about sexuality. And so I had, I was very curious about it, very much wanting to explore it. And um, somehow I just even knew that there were these things called chat rooms. I think I, maybe I'd heard about it from a sister and I was just like, so in um, drawn to these things so where I could go and I, I could chat with people and I could pretend to be anybody I want to. I could pre- pretend to be any age I wanted to. And in my head, I could be talking to a perfect person and it, it was kind of like real life fantasy, you know, as you were talking to a person and, and it was um, very um, addicting to me. Um, so chat rooms were kind of like my gateway drug into darker stuff on the internet um, that obviously led to other things too. Um, I also loved anime I loved going along with, you know, loving fantasy and, and fantastical things. And I loved cartoons. And so when I learned about anime, um, from like Pokemon and Sailor Moon, <laughs> I explored and searched for more of that on the internet, and that led me down to down the very dark dark hole of of Japanese pornography. Um, and so, when I was using the internet for the most part as a as a child, it was either playing games or it was seeking out these sexual um, things, whether it's pornography or chat rooms or fan fiction things like that. So you name it, I was seeking it out and. Um, in reality too, um, I was constantly pursuing boyfriends in school, like from kindergarten on up. Um, and it, it was, you know, I'm sure it, like it's childish on, on the outside, but internally to me, it was very, um, I was, it, I was very, very drawn. It was very serious to me. Um, I was just constantly seeking for a guy to, that could be my boyfriend or to be mine, so to speak. Um, and, again, outwardly, I was a good student. I was, I was focused in school. I, I got my stuff done. I was a fairly obedient child for the most part, not all the time, but you know, I, I tried to be quote unquote better than my sisters. I wasn't, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I felt like I could get away with more in kind of my double life and, and these secret, um, desires and things I never talked about with anybody. Um, it was all very much just stuck inside of me. And so, I just desperately wanted romance and wanted to be wanted by someone. And um, what was really driving me through most of my childhood and young adult years was just this overarching desire to feed my own wants and needs above anything else, Um, which kind of sounds like an over-exaggeration, but I can say that before I knew Christ, I never did anything that did not benefit me and myself and my goals. Like my, my Mm -hmm. world revolved around me. Um, And as a result of that, as I grew into a young adult, I became, I was a very selfish and hardened and perverted and honestly an unpleasant person to be around. (laughs) Um, 
I really struggled having female friends. Um, in fact, I, I had a really good friend in middle school. It was probably the one, one really good true friend I had. And I remember going into high school, I wrote her a, a breakup letter, so to speak, a friend breakup letter. Um, because I wanted to be free to do whatever I wanted to do without having to worry about what friend might or may or may not be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just a very cold thing to do, but I just wanted to be able to, to navigate high school on my terms and also like seek out a boyfriend basically, you know, like without having to worry about a friend who might possibly like bog me down or it was just, life was all about me. Um, so I was very, didn't know how to have relationships with, with women or men (laughs) without sexuality being involved. Um, it was very hard. I didn't have any platonic relationships. Um, so, and that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to exactly when this kind of came about, but around high school, I began to identify as bisexual. Um, but I want to qualify that a bit too, because I never was actually in a relationship with another woman or a girl. Um, but I definitely, I can, I can say for sure at that point, my porn use and just my sexual behaviors and a lot, mostly, mostly my my internet behaviors, like had really impacted my um, sexual identity. Um, And I want to qualify this and say that, you know, obviously this is not the case for everybody who identifies as bisexual. Um, And for me, I, I didn't even at the time, didn't understand where things were coming from, but I just knew I was also attracted to women. Um, but I never got the courage to actually be in a relationship with the woman. And I never, if I had found the right girl, it it would have happened. Um, but I definitely lusted after other girls in in high school. Um, but my primary focus was really on getting guys, having a boyfriend, um, having someone be, be quote unquote mine. Um, so that's kind of, that was kind of like my high school experience. Um, as far as yeah, developing my sexuality, my, my um, spiritual beliefs. Um, and then I moved to college in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, <laughs> so that kind of started a whole new chapter in my life. Okay. So college came along, um, getting, even getting to, um, I, so I went, went to Drake university and even getting here <laughs> was, uh, very much a God thing because I didn't know Iowa was a state <laughs> before <laughs> I got came here. <laughs> I just never traveled here. I don't know. <laughs> I was bad at geography and I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Iowa, so I find that very funny. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, you get it. People who are from here, you know, are, Iowa gets a bad rap. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Idaho when I first heard it and I was like, wait, so I had to look it up. Um, but I, uh, I was recommended to check out Drake University by... Um, I was actually in, in our high school newspaper and my newspaper advisor, his wife was the editor in chief of the Denver post. And I was really impressed by that. She had gone to Drake and I didn't really have a life plan and, but I knew I was good at writing and journalism and that kind of stuff. And so, um, so I checked out Drake university and I was kind of looking for a fresh start. Um, again, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have really any relationships, um, that really were tying me down. Um, I had, I had this on again, off again relationship with a boyfriend in high school and it was kind of more off by the time high school was ending. And, but even still, I don't think we would have, I don't, it's hard to say. I'd mostly just used guys. So it was like, it was relationally intense, but at the same time, I was also like playing the field, had many backward relationships. So even though I was in a relationship, I wasn't really tied to it, if that makes sense. Mm 
um, what I was really looking for was just kind of a fresh start, wanted to get away from family. Um, my, at this point, my parents had divorced. Um, my mom had moved out and, um, and, uh, again, I was the youngest, so I was the only one at home. It was kind of lonely. And I was just, I was just looking for a fresh start with college. Um, I didn't know much more beyond that. So I wound up in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I really love it here. Again, I was great. It's totally underrated. Um, and, uh, in college, I, I wound up making friends with a group of people who were, um, this, this small group of freshmen who we were committed to not partying and we were pretty serious about there to, to study. And, um, it's kind of, this is also another kind of unique aspect of my story that like, again, not always, but typically when you're dealing with, um, a lot of, uh, sexual behavior, partying tends to go along with that, but I'm, I'm not, I was never a big partier. Um, that was just not my thing. I didn't like, I don't like a lot of noise and crowds. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I didn't wind up really doing a lot of partying. And so I found this group of friends who were also wanting to be serious about, about school. And they were a very eclectic group and they accepted me. And I actually kind of had some friends for the first time in my life. Um, and they were a lot, a lot of fun, but um, my, my tendencies that had, had my personality really came out pretty quickly. And um, in this group, we all had nicknames and my nickname was the part-time fun hater <laughs> because um, I was just, again, not a nice person. I hung out with people on my terms, not on theirs. And if people were annoying me, I would go alone into my room <laughs> and get away from them, put on my headphones and watch anime, things like that. Um, and I was a very, I just remember I was, I was kind of, um, yeah, I just had a reputation for being a very crass and harsh person to be around. And, um, it's amazing because at this time at Drake university, um, there was kind of this mini revival going on and tons of, tons of people were just getting saved. Um, the campus ministries there were just blowing up, which I didn't, I wasn't really aware of at the time. Um, I had kind of this reputation for being, um, I was, I was like one of the campus atheists. I wasn't extremely militant, but I, I was a very crass person. And so, and Drake is not super huge. So a lot of people generally know who people are. And um, I was one of the last people that anybody would have pegged to ever come to Jesus. <laughs> Let me just, like point blank. That's just, I was one of those people. Um, yeah. I remember one of my friends invited me to one of our campus services my freshman year and I didn't know what I was getting into. And so I went to it with him <laughs> and I wasn't mad or anything afterwards, but I was like, I am never going back ever again. This was so awkward, <laughs> but Props to him. He had the guts to invite me and he still is a good friend today. So um, that was really cool. But tons of people were getting saved on campus and there were so many people who were extremely gracious with me, even though I was very, very hard person to be around. Very selfish and again, very perverted. Um, I, it was I very foul mouthed. Um, so I was 21 years old. I was a junior in college. And um, at that, this point in my life, I had kind of been deeply involved in anime club and I went there there was a small group of people who for three hours every Thursday we would watch anime and binge watch it together and that was like our club and this really really hot guy shows up one day and um I don't know what it was about him I just knew I need I have got to pursue this guy like normally up until this point when it came to relationships it was more like situationships. Like they just kind of happened. I didn't necessarily like hardcore pursue guys, you know, it was kind of like flirting, but not like I'm chasing after someone intentionally. Um, 
that was different with this guy, but I knew for there's something about him. I just had to chase this, this guy. And at the time he lived in Kansas city. um, And he said he was a Christian, but he was not living at all. Like a Christian. There was nothing about his life that said to me that he was following Christ. And so normally, normally I would not have touched anybody who said they were a Christian with with a 10 foot pole, but this guy was so attractive to me. and, And he again, didn't have any hint of, of actually following Christ that I, I really just pursued him. Um, and we would chat online a lot because again, he didn't live in town at the time, um, but he was originally from here and which again, I love chatting. That was my preferred method of getting my relational needs met. And, um, one day he was telling me he was reading mere Christianity by CS Lewis. And, um, I was kind of curious about that because I love the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid. Those were some of my favorite stories and never got the spiritual significance. Amazingly enough, (laughs) I did not get, I just read them. No one explained to me the, you know, I I don't know if I would like have liked them as much as a kid, if I had known that they had, they were these allegories or, you know, um, allegory, is that the right word? Well, anyhow, but yeah. So (laughs) I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And I was like, C.S. Lewis wrote other stuff. What? Like I was so piqued. And so, um, my thinking was, okay, here's this hot guy that I really, really desperately want his attention. I want him to pursue me back. I want him to like me. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go check out a copy of this near Christianity from the Drake library and I'm going to read it and I'm going to prove to him how smart it can be as an atheist and show him how wrong Christianity is. And I'm just going to get this guy to desperately fall into love with me. (laughs) That, that was literally my plan. Um, (laughs) which is like, if you want someone to love you, you know, disproving their supposedly deeply held beliefs is probably not the way to go about it. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But this is just, this is just how darkened my mind was. And, um, it just, it just cracks me up. So, um, I've checked out the book. I was at this point, I lived alone in a dorm room because I I, I tried the roommate thing. It was not working out, but I was, I lived alone because I just couldn't handle people. And so I was reading mere Christianity. Um, and, it, it's hard to describe what happened that night. Um, but I think the best way to put it is that I, I sort of had like a vision kind of, um, if it's like, if the moment was in a movie, it would sort of be like, you'd first hear C.S. Lewis's British voice reading mere Christianity. And as I was like reading it, I was, I was coming to this terrible realization that I was being convicted. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, if this was a movie, the voice in the scene would, it would start off as C.S. Lewis's and it would sort of fade into this other voice and this new voice. And I knew God was speaking to me and I was, that was just like, Whoa, suddenly I wasn't reading mere Christianity anymore. God was just there and he was speaking to me and I'm sorry, I'm going to cry, but it, I can't tell the story and not cry. I'm um, and essentially, crying, I'll cry with you. So go ahead. <laughs> so um, he started speaking to me uh, and he was, he was essentially what he was saying to me was Dina. I, I am who I am. I'm Jesus. I know everything about you. And in that moment, when he came to me, my life flashed before my eyes and it was horrible. Uh, I was seeing myself from a perspective that I had never seen before. I had only looked at life um, from my own perspective and from the stance of what I wanted and, and through the lens of my point of view. And that had always made sense according to my rules and my worldview. But suddenly I was seeing myself from somebody else's worldview. And that was from a worldview that was holy and good. Um, and it was, it was just crushing. Um, 
I was an English major and I love literature and I love words, but there was one very small word that I had never known or used before. And that was the word sin. But all in that moment, I, I knew that I was sin. I was, I was looking at my life and I, my life was just filled with filth. I knew Jesus was looking at it with me. And I knew that he saw me and it felt like I was worse than naked. Um, I had never experienced such exposure and vulnerability like that. In, and I, I knew all of a sudden that there was right and wrong. Hmm. Um, I felt like I was, I felt like the, the embodiment of wrong in some ways. And there was a moment where I just, I could have been cowering, but at that same moment, what changed me was he was just overwhelmingly offering me grace um, and love. I knew that he loved me and it, it made no sense to me. It, I was not lovable and I, I could see that, but he was loving me and he wanted me, even though he, I, he knew I had hated him and had mocked him and, and worse. Um, but he was offering me a better than a fresh start. I mean, he was offering to forgive every sin, past, present, and future. And I, I, I couldn't refuse. <laughs> I mean, I could have walked away from that encounter. Um, but if I had, I would have been living a lie. I could have walked away and said, nope, there's no God. I'm not going to follow you. But I, I couldn't. I just, it, the deal was too good. I knew that he knew everything and that he was offering to forgive everything. And it was the love that I had been craving. So all at once that night, um, I was on my face on the floor of my dorm room alone. Um, I just gave my entire life, my filthy life to Jesus. And uh, in return, I got forgiveness and love and grace. Um, so I made that choice um, approximately. I, I'm pretty sure it was around November 6, 2006. I roughly know the date, like plus or minus two or three days based on the date that I checked out the book in the library. <laughs> um, but I made that choice not knowing if I could trust the Bible. I didn't know if I could trust other Christians or if I would even like them or if I would want to or enjoy going to church. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what I was getting myself into or agreeing to, but um, I could not deny the reality of who Jesus Christ was and what he had done for me. I knew that he had taken on my sin and, and, forgave me and was forgiving me and, and was offering me um, better than a fresh start. It was just completely clean slate. So I didn't know what I was getting into, but I did know the next day I was a completely different person. And I still remember walking around campus that next, it was like, I don't even know how long. I just felt like my feet did not touch the ground because there was this weight, 21 years worth of, of weight that I didn't know I was even burdened with that was lifted. And within that week, I mean, I just, it, it was just over, an overnight dramatic transformation. I was just one of those people. Um, within that week, I bought a Bible. I made friends with the, the people who had been my friends, really a lot of them up to that point, but who were I recognize now were, were believers. And they helped me to get a Bible. And I went to campus service, which uniquely in, uh, or not uniquely, um, ironically enough, it was at the exact same time slot that anime club was. And so <laughs> I had to switch, which I didn't, it was like, to me a no brainer. Um, I remember the first time I went to a campus service, I didn't even, I didn't sing. Like I did not sing worship songs, especially not worship songs. <laughs> um, but I like sang for the first time. And it was, I mean, it, I, I didn't even almost know who I was, you know, because it yeah. was just so, I was a totally different person. I was blowing myself away. And, um, so it was just, it was a pretty dramatic overnight transformation. This, again, especially because word spread pretty fast that one of these crazy campus atheists 
suddenly came to Jesus. Um, and I also began devouring the Bible just right away. Um, I, I could not believe it was so good. It was so good. Um, I, again, like I said, I was an English major. I love literature. I had tried to read the Bible before, but I, I, it was more with an eye of, of wanting to kind of mock it. Um, Mm -hmm. and also to kind of pick it apart and, but it was so big and I was like, not really motivated enough. I was not a very honest atheist. I would say (laughs) that I didn't really, I didn't read much of the Bible uh, before. So when I actually did start reading it and obviously with God's spirit, it was, it was nothing compared to it. It was so good. So good. And I just could not get enough of it. And so I I actually had to really slow myself down because I, I read the whole thing in about nine months and then I just kept going really fast and it, there got to be a point where it was like, okay, you can't keep reading the Bible this fast. You have to look at the details. Mm-hmm. But um, so all that being said, again, major transformation, but what about my sexuality? Um, well, some things changed right away and some things really did not. And um, immediately, obviously the Lord began sanctifying me uh, and healing me of the damage I had done to myself. But I think as with many of us who have gotten into sexual sin, it's just like ripples in a pond and you just don't know, you just don't know a lot of, of what you've done to yourself until you, you see yourself years down the road. And there's even still ramifications for who I am today. But even that being said, um, you know, God has healed me so, so much. And one of the things, and again, another unique thing about me is that Um, I was able to quit porn right, almost right away. I think I maybe tried to look at it maybe two times, not too long after I had gotten saved. Um, but it was, it was, and again, this is purely just God's grace on my life. It it was just immediately disgusting to me and unsatisfying. Um, so, and, and that went along with, you know, like a lot of the anime I was watching it, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't look at those things anymore. So that is just had changed in me. Um, the other thing too was um, my sexuality. Um, I I could see it became clear to me when I came to the Lord that my bisexuality was really it had been a front in a lot of ways, and it was not something. It was not a deeply held um, core desire in me. Um, and I'm trying to think of how to put it in the word into words one of the reasons that one of the things that was feeding my bisexuality was that I, I felt n- I did not feel beautiful as a woman. And I really, I would look at other women who were beautiful and I desired what they, what they were in, in their beauty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because I was so driven by lust that that desire for beauty got perverted. And I thought that I wanted the woman themselves instead of to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so when when Jesus healed my soul, when he saved me, when he, when he, um, redeemed me, I felt, I felt loved. I felt beautiful in a lot of ways. And I, f- I could feel him transforming me into something beautiful. And so that the bisexuality piece for me was able again to, that, that was something that just really, um, I kind of fell away pretty, pretty, almost pretty immediately. Um, does that make sense? I don't know if that's clear. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, and I, again, that was just my personal experience. I I don't say that to disparage anybody else's experience of their sexuality or whatnot, but for me, it was, it was not as the deep issue for me. So, but the deep issue for me was like, it was like my heart was on a conveyor belt with men 
And I just was wanting to like feed myself with this romanticism with, with romantic male desire, if that makes sense. And that did not stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, by God's grace that I was amazed. I was like, wow, I am not looking at porn anymore. I can tell my, like my sexuality is changing almost right away. Um, but I was still lusting for uh, almost right away, just man after man after man. And in some ways it was almost worse because here I was actually meeting guys who were genuinely nice and good and like, and very attractive. <laughs> and it was like, and there was a lot of them in our campus ministry. <laughs> and it was so, oh man, that was just like, what am I getting myself into? I don't know. I, all I knew right away when I got saved, I knew I was done dating the way I had been dating, but I didn't know much more than that. And again, in an environment, lots of attractive guys. And so I really began this very long heart struggle with romance and lust. And and I also still struggled a lot with masturbation, um, mm -hmm. apart from pornography, you know, just the act in and of itself. Um, that was very much a habit that I did not understand. And um, it was a coping thing. And, and that still lingered on for many, many, many years. And so those two things mainly were struggles that I took into my Christian walk and had to continue to work out for many years down the road. Um, so again, I know that was a lot kind of, as far as the, that, that was my, when I got saved and then that was what, 13, 14 years ago. So uh, how much time you got? <laughs> There's, he's did a lot since then too, um, to really change my heart um, and heal me of, of, not just my sexuality, but many other things too. So yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit. Let's backtrack a bit. Um, okay. I want to talk about a couple other things. You know, I think it's, we, I think we're probably the same age, like pretty close based on when you got saved, being in college, nineties <laughs> kid, I'm 30. Oh yeah. Um, yep. So we're probably I'll be 36 in September. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'm 30. I'll be 37 this year. So okay. one, one year ahead. But yeah, I, I sounded so similar to my own experiences. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, 90s kid, you get involved in internet chat rooms and porn yep. and all this stuff and having explicit conversations with strangers, like all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Were very much a part of my story. But also part of my story was how pornography distorted my view of my own sexual identity. Mm -hmm. And that is something that you know, we talk, we talk about women and pornography use as something that is unfortunately largely undiscussed, uh, not talked about. But then adding in the fact that many women who struggle with porn also struggle with some some sort some form of sexual identity struggle mm -hmm. um, is talked about even less. In fact, you know, ten years ago, I published my first book, Thirty Girls Come Clean," mm -hmm. and in writing my story for the book my publisher actually omitted that part of my story about wow. identity because they stated that I was being sensational um, and that it wasn't <laughs> necessary to write about that part. And, and you know, <laughs> it makes me very mad. Yeah. But I'm going to yeah. write soon. I'm excited about that, but um, it's, but this is something that is very, very real and we're not discrediting mm -hmm people who genuinely have a same-sex attraction who are in no. relationships but for I think for you and I there was a projection that was happening like mm -hmm. watching a lot of for me it was lesbian porn yeah um, watching a lot of lesbian porn I was attracted to what I was seeing I was attracted to women around me 
And the more that I that I work in this area, the more obviously knowledge I receive and revelation I receive from the Lord and things like that. But it was also the this desire for female companionship mm-hmm. that I didn't have. I had all brothers. Um, there wasn't right. a lot of women in my life. Didn't have a lot of girlfriends, you know. And there was just this projection of like I want that female companionship, and I also mm-hmm. be like them and be desired like they are desired. Um, and so I think we're in, and so I think it's important that we talk about that. And so I thank you for your openness with that issue specifically, because I know women who are listening to this, they're also wrestling with that or have yeah. that. And it's not, they're not so uncommon as they may, as they may feel. Right. And I, when it came to that, to my bisexuality, it was very sincerely held um, so I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't because it, I know I can tell you today, like, I know for sure if Jesus had not come into my life, um, I was only a couple failed relationships away, male relationships away from, and again, had not yet found a woman that really fit my, fit my type. Mm-hmm. Like I, I very much was heading down the road of lesbianism, um, yeah. It, I just hadn't quite gotten there yet. And Jesus intercepted me. Um, but like a lot of the porn that I watched, I, I was saying about, like I watched a lot of lesbian porn because um, I didn't like the way that it looked like women were getting hurt. It didn't look pleasurable. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, and so, and, and that again, it just, and I, I wanted to be a beautiful woman. I wanted to. And so it's like part of my thinking was, well, if I can't be one, maybe I could have one, you know, mm-hmm. and, and admire other girls. And um, there's a proverb that says to the perverted, everything is perverse. And so I couldn't have any relationship in general without it being sexual, which is why for me, at least I couldn't, I didn't really have any relationships period, male or female that were, were genuine friends. Like um, if I did, it was because people were genuinely kind to me and it wasn't because I was being nice to them and reciprocating. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. because they were being gracious. And so, so I did, I just didn't know how to have relationships without having a sexual component either too. And I, but I still had relational needs. I had desires. Um, but yeah, I, did I want men? Yes. And, and like when you peeled off all of the other stuff that kind of got heaped on as the years went on, um, that was the core thing that was driving me, but it had, I been going out, kept going down the road, I was going down, I would have pretty fairly quickly left men. I just hadn't found the right woman yet, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. The same thing with me, you know, my, the part of my story that they omitted in the book was the fact that my, I don't know if you've read my book or not, but those who have are familiar mm-hmm. with my hotel room story in the book where I tried to arrange anonymous encounter with somebody on mm-hmm. the internet. That was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, people assume it's a man because of how the book is written, but it was a woman and I mm-hmm. hell bent on making that happen. Um, yeah. in my life. And I'm thankful that even in the midst of that darkness got intercepted and I did not, mm-hmm. I did not actually um, follow through with it, but that was what was taking place. That was what was transforming. Yeah. Um, so as you're living your life with the sexual brokenness and everything as an atheist, did, did, did your behaviors trouble you at all? Were you bothered by it? Did you think it was a problem or that you had an addiction? Like, were you aware that mm-hmm. what you were doing was not healthy, I guess? No, I can pretty safely say, confidently say no. I did not feel conviction. Um, 
that being said, like I knew sexuality was something to be hidden and I wasn't proud of it. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where, you know, I'm, I know my mom doesn't, I don't think she knows everything, (laughs) you know, and I, but I, I think she, she knew I was troubled. She knew I was getting into things I shouldn't be, especially with guys. And she had confronted me. And so I knew, I knew what I was doing was not, was not, my mom didn't agree with it. And so in that sense, I knew that, um, it wasn't something necessarily to be proud of. Um, but at the same time, I really hadn't been discouraged and I had not really gotten a lot of good information as far as sexuality, um, in general and, and sin, again, the, the idea, the concept was not at all in my vocabulary, accountability, responsibility, any kind of authority, nothing that really bothered my conscience in regard to that. So my, I was very hardened, um, in a lot of ways to my behaviors and, um, I did not see it as addictive at all. Cause I, I was a suburban kid. I had a lot of free time. I could do what I wanted. And so I didn't see it as problematic because it didn't, as a kid, I did, it wasn't really like negatively impacting my life. Like it wasn't like I couldn't function and go to my job because I was, I was dealing with my sexual behaviors, if that makes sense. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, in fact, the thing that mostly there was one time as an unbeliever, Oh, I don't even want to tell this story. <laughs> there was one time as an unbeliever, <laughs> where I was like, maybe I'm not doing something very good here. Um, and, um, it, it, I was, I, I started right before Jesus kind of came along. I was getting a little deeper into partying and drinking, um, and things like that. Not, not like crazy parties, but I was definitely starting to drink more. And I think that that was partly because of, I was escalating in my behaviors and especially with guys and pursuing those guys. And one time I, um, had a guy drive me back into my dorm room and I, he wasn't completely sober and it was not a smart decision. Um, and we weren't like smashed, but it was not, we shouldn't have gotten behind the wheel. And, um, again, Lord was very gracious to me in that encounter. Um, but my drive for like, that was, I was starting to cross boundaries that even as a believer, I was like, or unbeliever, excuse me. I was, I was like headset for myself specifically like with drinking mostly mm-hmm. <laughs> I was more troubled about my drinking than I was about the sexual stuff that I was doing. So I don't know what that said. I was just, I had no compass, <laughs> you know, like that's just, that's just, those are my standards. I had my own hierarchy. It made sense to me and it was very illogical, <laughs> but yeah. Well, so I, find that I was interesting. I find that yeah. interesting though, because you know, you and I, at the time of this recording, we're both attending and are part of the Nicosi summit, um, mm-hmm. which in itself is not a faith-based um, right summit and conference um it's from all faiths all backgrounds all lifestyles Mm -hmm. um but talking about pornography as a form of exploitation Mm -hmm. and and i think it's easy for people as christians to see porn as something bad but not necessarily Mm -hmm. bad because it's exploitation but because it's sinful right right whereas you know we have there's a lot of atheists a part of the of the nicosia movement the, Mm -hmm. the coalition um, because they're, they understand it from a exploitation perspective. Exactly. And so that's why I was asking, like, did you, did it trouble you that you had these behaviors and where you, did you feel stuck in them? But it sounds like mm-hmm. you were just very apathetic to very much. So yeah, yeah. To the I did not, did not think about how my behaviors impacted other people mm-hmm. at all. Um, which is very addiction minded. Yeah. I mean, that is yes. how addiction yes. functions. It's very selfish. It's very me, me, me. I'm getting my needs yep. met. Um, and that happens whether you're a Christian or not. Um, yes, very much so. To addiction. 
Thank you for listening to part one of my two-part interview with Dina Bennett. You will not want to miss our continued conversation next week where Dina shares more of what it meant for her as a Christian now to find sexual healing and wholeness and how that journey of sexual healing impacted her dating life as well as her marriage. You won't want to miss this really intimate conversation as she shares some really wonderful insights for whether you're single or married and how your sexual healing is possible too. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with those who you think will enjoy it too. And be sure to subscribe to never miss a new episode each week. You can also visit sherecovery.com slash podcast to access the listener notes for this episode, as well as to access our Patreon page. You can show your support of the She Recovery podcast and sherecovery.com by becoming a patron. Patrons receive exclusive content, recovery tools, and even She Recovery merchandise that is not found anywhere else. Thank you for your support, and I hope you'll join me again next week for a new episode of the She Recovery Podcast.